You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. Welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. Today, we're talking about teen addiction, signs, symptoms, and early intervention. My guest today is Kennedy McGurkin, a mental health therapist at Noble Intent in Boise, Idaho. Kennedy is passionate about helping her clients understand their full potential by creating a safe space and validating feelings that are hard to handle. Welcome to the show, Kennedy. Thank you for having me. So great to have you on the show. You know, I've been wanting to do an episode on this for quite some time. We have a lot of people, obviously, that listen to the show that are in recovery and they have kids. Right. And one of the things that uh, we know about addiction is sometimes it repeats itself. Uh, and people who I know I had addiction in my family and then I ended up, uh, having alcoholism, right? So it is sometimes generational. So I really wanted to dive into this topic and, you know, talk about teens and addiction and how to kind of identify that there might be an issue, you know, real quick, before we, before we dive into this, Kennedy, I wanted to kind of ask your opinion and your perspective on what you see with teens and addiction. Is it more prevalent than it's been in the past, or is it actually going down the amount yeah, of people I, we're seeing? Yeah, I think it's definitely more prevalent, or the drug use that they're the drug of choice that they're using is becoming different than just um alcohol and a weed addiction. It's becoming more narcotics or um opioids. So that's something that we are seeing a lot in the past couple of years. Um, I just looked up a statistic before I popped on here. Between 2019 and 2021, the overdose from fentanyl in schools has tripled. Um, and that number has only been going up as these drugs are becoming more laced. So that was something that I wanted to talk about too. And we'll get to that at a later point in today. But um, yeah, it's definitely going up. It's not going up at a skyrocketed rate, but just because the drugs are becoming more laced, um, it's becoming more um, lethal, I guess, is a good way to put it. Yeah. You know what? Like, I, you know, I'm a firm believer. I think alcohol is very dangerous. You know, there's a lot of deaths, you know, in high school, <laughs> even junior high, mm-hmm. all the way down up and especially in college. We see this a lot of alcohol poisoning. But I think one of the things that is different is I've noticed that the kids have, I'm just the kids, the teens have way more access to harder drugs than I did. I know when I was in the 80s and 90s, like we're we're talking like horse tranquilizers, you were talking about fentanyl. It seems that the margin of error to make a mistake and absolutely overdose is much Mm -hmm. higher now. It's much more probable than, than it was generations back. I mean, would you agree with that? I completely agree. And I like the way that you just put that, the margin for error, um, which is why preventative methods are really important or harm reduction is also very important in schools and at home. Um, Something that I did want to discuss today was with having overdose so high happening in schools during school time, like it would be a great idea for schools to start working on harm reduction. Like how do we train our teachers to use Narcan when there is an overdose in the school? Because there is that huge margin of error, right? Like we know to call 911 if there's an alcohol overdose or we can kind of catch signs of an alcohol overdose. Like, okay, this person has droopy eyes, you know, slurring speech, um, overdose with fentanyl, excuse me, and other drugs happens like that. Um, And when you have Narcan, a life-saving drug around, it can really help 
save a life of a kid and having teachers trained in that way or um, any adult around teenagers or around even younger kiddos now, like it is so important to have that um, just at hand so that we can prevent that death from happening with that margin of error that you were talking about for sure. Absolutely. I I love this idea of harm reduction. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's it's interesting because as somebody who's in recovery has been in for a while, you know, and I have a teenager uh, right. that that went through high school and is in early college and stuff, and is somebody who doesn't, you know, d- is just not interested necessarily right. in in drugs and alcohol at all. It's it's definitely a, a generational shift. I see a lot of kids saying very early on, "Hey, this isn't for me." Maybe uh-huh. they had somebody in their family that's in recovery, or they've seen it. It's just not for them. Right. And I like that uh, much more than when I was in school. Everybody quote tried alcohol, like you know, <laughs> like there was a yeah. lot, of, and now. People do stand up. There's like, you know, co- sober college groups and the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But I want to talk about parents that are out there mm-hmm. that might start to see some things that are bugging them. Mm-hmm. And it's not just, hey, they went to a party, they had alcohol or some drugs, and then it really didn't happen again. What are some of the signs and symptoms that you might see in a teenager if you're a parent or a guardian or a loved one? Mm-hmm. that might say, hey, you know what? Maybe this isn't just they went to a party, experimented. Right. This is maybe something more. Maybe it's c- developing into an addiction. Yeah, a lot of it will um, mimic signs of like anxiety and depression. So um, for example, I really like the saying, like a lone wolf is the unhealthiest wolf in the pack. So if you're noticing your child isolating mm-hmm. more or um, hygiene is going downhill, like they're not showering, um, you know, their sleep habits are kind of off. Like they're either sleeping not at all and still having a lot of energy or they're sleeping all the time to have that recovery for their bodies and minds after using whatever drug of choice they pick. Um, Something else can be mood shifts. Like, um, how do I want to say it? Like less motivated or unmotivated or um, yeah, a lot of symptoms will just mimic depression and anxiety. And that's kind of when parents should speak up and notice like, hey, I noticed that you're sleeping a lot more than usual. Like, can you tell me what's going on with that? Are you just tired? Like, are you feeling, um, you know, is school too stressful? Like, what's going on there? Um, yeah, and a lot of behavioral changes. If you're noticing this kiddo that you knew two months ago is a completely different human um, for the worst, like, definitely speak up before it's too late and say something like, hey, can we talk about this? Like, what's been going on, you know? Um mm-hmm. How can we work through this together? And just having a no shame or guilt approach and really like cultivating a space of like, let's talk about this. You know, like we're all human. Our kids are human too. So let's discuss like what's going on. Cause a lot of it has to do with stress or, um, you know, just peer pressure too, right? Like all my friends are drinking. So why, like, why wouldn't I drink, you know, or they just don't understand the side effects of being a teen and using. So yeah. Yeah. You know what? I, 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 and what you're kind of tapping on is education. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's, it's interesting because I think teens are more educated than they've ever been in, in, right. in a certain way. I mean, I know in my house, obviously a kid growing up, you know, they saw me in recovery. So they met people who were in recovery. We openly talked about Beautiful. like the pros and cons. 
yep. of alcohol and drugs and that there's some people who can take alcohol and there's some right. people who can't and I'm one of those people who can't you know I right. just cannot do it right <laughs> and that everybody is 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 different you know in in that sense but we know statistically uh Kennedy that what I remember when I was a kid, it was 10% of the people might have a problem. I read something the other day, it was like 20 to 30% yeah. of people now that are taking drugs and alcohol identify as somebody who has a, you know, a, a an addiction issue or some yeah. sort of issue that relates to that. Right. How do parents actually start that discussion? I think yeah. that's a, a good one because the, I, I think no parent really wants to accuse their kid or make it worse right, right? we don't want to make right. a big deal when it's not a big deal but at the same time we don't want our kids sliding down that slippery slope how do you do that how do you start that discussion as a parent yeah i love the um the saying let's call people in rather than call them out so instead of and it's hard right as a parent there's no handbook and i actually work a lot with parents and teens so a lot of it is just educating parents on how to be a parent and have those conversations right so um, going in with like, going in with an intention rather than just being like, oh my gosh, I'm going to kick down my kid's door and just let him have it for coming in late or whatever it may be like going yeah. in with, um, uh, the saying to like unconditional positive regard, like I'm coming from a place of love and I'm concerned about my child and I want to ha open a conversation with them. Hey, can you tell me about what's going on with you? Um, and what are you, what are you doing? Like what's going on here? Um, educating them on what is drug and alcohol abuse and what is experimenting, I think is a really good thing. Having this conversation too, as soon as possible, like when they turn 10, have a conversation that is um, appropriate for their age and being like, these are drugs and alcohol, you know, and you probably might experiment them. You might not. Here's what it looks like when stuff kind of goes downhill. Um, yeah. And just opening that conversation with them. Can you tell me about this? Like going with curiosity rather than blame and i think you'll get a lot further than if it's just an immediate like where were you last night you're grounded give me all your things you know rather than um like hey what's going on you know where were you um who are you with what were you doing um is this first time you've been using are you concerned about your drug use or alcohol use just like open-ended questions that are coming from a place of curiosity and love rather than that shame and blame game so yeah. You know, it's 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 interesting because even though there's so much education, Kennedy, a lot of the times I see there's such uh, myth and oh. uh, really wrong information about addiction. You know, I think people still believe that uh, addiction is some sort of personal character defect with mm -hmm. people. And, you know, and I know from somebody who's been in addiction, there's a biological difference when I drink. Right. As right. opposed to some, something happens to me when I drink that doesn't. And, you know, it's interesting because when you have this conversation with teens, mm -hmm. and I've had this conversation with large groups of teens, they they tend to know the mm -hmm. people in their peer groups mm -hmm. that don't react well when that 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 when that when that weird thing that's really hard to kind of put like your thumb on that it's like this person is different when mm -hmm. they use drugs and drink. Right. than the than than my fellows right um you know talk let's talk a little bit about uh other teens right teens being able to see teens mm -hmm. having an issue i think there is such peer pressure they don't want to step out and get people in trouble 
Right. But I found today, especially in college, like if if you say something, there's a zero penalty, like you don't get in trouble. Mm-hmm. If you're not supposed to have alcohol and you had alcohol, but you saw there was abuse, you could say something. H- how do other teens, because we do have people who are teens that watch this as well. How do other teens maybe intervene with their friends who they might see this pattern? Yeah, I like the the saying too, if you see something, say something, right? And you don't. Yeah. I've lost a friend to overdose and drug addiction, and it was the hardest thing ever going through that death and navigating that. And I think just reflecting on that experience that I went through personally, like if I would have said something way earlier on in our relationship, when I noticed like, oh, like what you're saying that you just know internally, like, oh, this isn't right. Or like, wow, that person is a lot different than I am when they use or when they drink or whatever it may be. Um, having that conversation with your friend, like calling them out, right. Or calling them in that it's saying like, Hey, um, I've noticed you've been missing school a lot lately. And you know, when we, and all you're doing is coming to parties. And then when I try to hang out with you to go to the mall or to go get coffee, you're not, you're not wanting to, like, you're only showing up to parties or, um, you're isolating a lot outside of, um, parties or whatever it may be and just opening up that door right if we can even crack the door for some people and just be that person that they need to talk to um you'll be surprised how well they respond for teens and i think and we know this too right like peer support groups or peer um peer like just having a peer person in your life care about you and love you and having that community has a lot more impact than a therapist telling you what to do like a teenager is just probably going to see me and be like that's another adult in my life who is telling me how to live my life when it's a best friend or a buddy or a cousin who's the same age you will start to pay more attention to them because they're different they're your age and they um have similar like lived experience if that makes sense so uh, yeah. absolutely you know yeah. how can therapists you know i know a lot of parents are going to be asked this question <laughs> excuse me how do therapists help in this situation like how do you how do parents reach out to therapists what do they say about this right is it sometimes better for a therapist to ask the question as opposed to the parent because (laughs) one of the things i've I've noticed you know is that sometimes when parents ask this question yeah there's immediate defense oh yeah right because one kids don't want to get in trouble they don't want to tell on other kids right how how do parents interact with therapists and can we talk about that process a little bit Yeah. So I just want to preface saying every therapist is different. Um, A therapist who works in my office might not do what I do. And that's just, that's perfect, right? Because humans interact with humans in a way that they connect. So um, what I do with my teens is we have an intake, right? And the intake, or I'll know because the parent will reach out beforehand and be like, hey, so-and-so is experiencing um, an uptake in drug, drug addiction or alcohol use or whatever it may be. Um, so for me, as long as, and I remember being taught this from my first job working with, um, actually teen moms was if they are talking to someone that is better than talking to no one. So if they are not talking to their parents, at least they're talking to me, right. (laughs) Or to their peers. Um, so I think too, just like education is such a huge piece of all of this. Um, and I think showing up for the teen in a way of like, I don't have any judgment towards you. Like, let's talk about your drug use, you know, like you need to be honest with me in order so that we can heal whatever it is that's um, wanting, that's interesting you and using um, or causing an interest in using for the teens. So like, 
Um, a lot of it is just building that rapport for me and my teens and me showing up and being a human being and not just a clinical therapist, you know, where I'm, I know all the answers and they don't like, I really like to walk with my teens and be like, wow. Yeah. Like validating their experience, talking about what, what is interesting about drugs or why they want to experiment or, you know, is it an undiagnosed mental health issue? And that is usually the number one thing of like, I feel this depression in my body and I don't even know how to identify it. Right. So I'm going to use something to make me feel better because I don't know what this is inside of me. Um, So a lot of it is just education on mental health, building that rapport, being a safe space, asking them like, what do you need from me in order to help yourself? Right. Like I will be your soundboard if that's all you need. I'll be the person that, um, you know, I'll be the older sister if I have to for five seconds, you know, like what's going on. Um, And I think creating that space and really allowing them to be like honest with their use as well. Um, Because I typically, if someone says they're drinking two drinks a week, I usually am like, okay, you're probably drinking four or five, you know, like let's, I know that something else is going on beneath the surface. Um, So yeah, I think just sitting and waiting for people to open up and bear what they're going through is something really important as well. Yeah, I I really do agree with you. I think it's a lot about education. You know, one of the things I think with people that are in recovery that have teens, one of the things that I think is I hear a lot, and I know it's something that I thought about was, look, there is this time with alcohol and drug use where you cross the line. You know, for me, it was already in high school, right? I'd already kind of crossed that line. And, you know, with alcoholism, you can't make a, you know, you you can't make a, a pickle, a cucumber again, right? Like, right. so once you, once you cross that line, it's uh-huh. very, very, very difficult. And if you don't have the information, like for me, I had no idea what alcoholism even was, even mm-hmm. though I had alcoholism in my family, Right. I didn't know what that was. I I I, I had no I, no education. There mm-hmm. there was zero education. It was like it's not good to drink and drive. You right. know, I heard that. But beyond <laughs> that, there there right. really wasn't. Yeah, yeah, like you either could handle it or you could not. Right. You know, I you know I want to talk a little bit about um about this idea of people who, you know, many kids, you know, statistically we know will drink and they'll maybe do drugs. They might even get in trouble with it a little bit. They might experiment a little bit too much. An overwhelming amount of kids won't have any addiction issues. Right. What about the kids who do, you know, what, what, what about the kids who do and their parents might be listening to this and saying, you know, Kennedy, man, I, you know, we're already on, you know, our third intervention and the kid's not even 17, right? This perpetual, what advice would you give them? I I, I know sometimes recovery is a long-term play. Totally. People are going to, I know I didn't, you know, it it took me a while to be able to wake up, right? To what was actually going on. Mm -hmm. How do parents deal with that? Uh, because it seems very repetitive, even if it's a year of them saying the exact same thing over right. and over, like this doesn't work for you. Look right. at the consequences. How mm-hmm. do parents deal? What's the best strategy for parents to deal with that? Get into therapy. <laughs> That's yeah. like get into therapy, find a community of like of parents going through the exact same experience because with addiction and with teenagers, it's a shame thing, right? Like as a parent, you're going to internalize, God, what did I do wrong? How could I have done better? Is it me? All these things, right? And it's get into therapy, find a community, find other parents who are struggling with their teens with 
addiction, right? Like it's an, and normalize it, normalize your own feelings while you're going through this as well. And don't ever get up, don't ever give up on your kiddo. Like if rehab over and over and over again, clearly is not working, pivot in another direction, right? Like get into outpatient, um, partial outpatient programs, get into weekly meetings with your kid. Um, the number one determinant of if a kid will stay, um, sober after like a treatment is the, um, what, how do I want to say this? The, um, active participation after the program is over. So weekly meetings with family and, um, family counseling, weekly meetings with AA groups or whatever group it is that calls to you to get that support, right? Like the number one thing with any kind of healing from mental illness or addiction is feeling normalized in your experience and also finding community within your experience. Mm-hmm. Just mi- give the burden like just a little inch in something too with kiddos and addiction is if they make a 2% progress, if they're a day sober, you better celebrate that as a parent, right? Like removing your ego about what your kid should do or what his addiction or her addiction will look like and removing it to be like, this is their own and individual experience. And I am so proud of them for even making it three months when it, they only made it a month the first time, right? Like, let's get a cake for them. Let's do this. Like, I'm so proud of you. And just be their biggest cheerleader in that way of like, I'm so proud of you for going to a party and not drinking or coming home on time. Or I'm so proud of you for even telling me that you used or that you're, that you need more support. So just celebrating the little things. And I know that's such a cheesy statement that everyone says, but it's so true. Like I am, I'm in your corner. I'm proud of you. And that's something that I use in my own therapy practice. Like if we are 1% better every day, like, can you imagine what we'll be in five years? So yeah, I think just celebrating those tiny little wins and just being there as a parent and not giving up. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of the times I've noticed one of the reasons why we started recovered life is we really want to focus on people living their best recovered life. You know, a lot of the, I'm just going to say like rehab marketing is all lowest common denominator. Like who would want that? Right. Like kids are like, this is like not the life that I want to live. You know, it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, like who 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 wants that? You know, and when I it's it's interesting because when I've talked and, and worked with people who are like in colleges and stuff like that, and, and really, and I'm like, oh no, man, you need to meet the people who are sober, who are really doing this, right? right. Like mm-hmm. it, it, these are the people that are more excited. And I think the the recovery out loud movement is really good in that way yeah. because it's saying it's like, hey, you know what? There are a lot of people that are in recovery, living that life that you imagined you living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So final thoughts here, Kennedy, if people are listening to this, maybe there's a parent listening to this or a friend who uh, sees that a teen in their life is struggling a little bit with addiction, but really is terrified to say anything. What's your final thoughts on this? How, how, how would you approach that if you're speaking to that person? ask yourself why you're scared to say something like really get to the nitty gritty of it. Is it because you're scared to hear the answer? Um, Is it scared because you're going to internalize the answer is something that you've done wrong. Um, Just kind of put that ego to the side and really show up for that team like they need and just ask the hard questions. If you're scared to do it, find someone that will, right? Like find a trained professional, find a therapist, find a peer support group, find whatever it is that, is going to ask those hard questions if you can't, because those hard questions could absolutely save a life. 
Priceless information, Kennedy. Kennedy thank McGurkin, you. thank you so much for uh, joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me. We're going to put links on how you can get in touch with Kennedy in the show notes. So go ahead and hit her up there. If you have not liked and subscribed, please do that and give us a rating here on the Recovered Life Show. It helps us support the recovery message. Thanks so much, Kennedy. Thank you. Sometimes addiction recovery can be a lonely battle, but you don't have to fight it alone. At Recovered Life, we're dedicated to helping you live your best recovered life. And that's why we're inviting you to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter. Every week, we carefully curate exclusive content from leading minds in addiction recovery, mental health, and all things important to the recovery lifestyle. Stay in the know with the latest news about addiction and get exclusive invitations to specially recovery-focused events and explore insights tailored to support recovery from alcoholism, drug addiction, codependency, disordered eating, dysfunctional family dynamics, gambling, and so much more. With our newsletter, each week becomes an opportunity for growth, healing, and taking a step closer to the life you deserve. Take your first step towards a brighter future today. Go to recoveredlife.us and subscribe for free. Sign up now at recoveredlife.us. Dot us.